0: Cash in the bank cuts two ways. And so I think that's something that maybe we don't talk about enough.
1: It'll be interesting to see how they tackle this whole like consumer adoption angle. Whether or not they're able to crack that will determine how fast they then move up the adoption curve.
0: In terms of what people are raising money for. It's like people should be raising money to figure out how to solve problems that these machines are creating, aside from all the things that they solve.
1: For, for most companies that are you know doing under a million bucks in revenue, the default state is failure. So that's what you're solving for.
0: Hey guys, Paul and I are back on the Results Junkies podcast. We've got a handful of topics we want to try and get through today, including a topic that we teased last week, a potential game-changing invention that uh, probably only comes to life because of a very unique fund structure. Uh, probably not quite the right word to use fun but we'll talk about that in a minute peloton is also on our radar with lessons for both founders and investors and if you can believe it paul and i are talking about wordle though uh though we'll touch more on the acquisition by the new york times than the phenomenon itself uh though i do play each and every morning how about you paul are you playing wordle
1: i have never played it i i see it on my timeline (laughs) I, i don't know i haven't i haven't bit the bullet yet.
0: And speaking of the New York Times, uh, they had some really interesting stats uh, on the massive privacy change that Apple made last year that we have talked about on the show a number of times. You know, maybe maybe 10 times at this point. Seems to come up almost every week when we talk about um, uh, you know, all the different intersections that we see out there, you know, Paul, you, you mentioned that you're getting ready to get back out on the road, um, and start heading out to to bump on a regular basis. Um, you know, what, what's your, what's your impression of, okay, I'm leaving the house and I'm going to get back to the grind.
1: Well, you know, I, I, I think you have not painted a very rosy picture for me in terms of what I can expect, uh, <laughs> with flight delays and everything else. But yeah, I, you know, I'm going to get back on it. Um, goal is to kind of get back out to bump every other week. Uh, and kind of start testing the waters on, on how travel works, but also kind of start to like, you know, uh, get ready for, for even more travel later in the year for some of the conferences and things like that, that I'm, that I'm, uh, working on at the moment. But, you know, I will also say on a personal note, I'm looking forward to the travel again, because I find that I'm the most creative when I'm on the move. Mm. Um, I think, I think for me anyways, these last couple of weeks, you know, with Omicron and less travel and all that stuff, I think, you know, the, the personal side effect is that I, I don't, I, I, it's just hard for me to flex those creative muscles, you know, sitting here in my office. So anyway, personally and professionally going to hit the road on Monday. It's going to be fun. We'll see how it goes.
0: (laughs) I will. I will be watching to see how your flights go. Uh, So before we dive into our topics, just a quick reminder for folks, you can email us questions and comments at uh, show at resultsjunkies.com. And you can find both of us on social media. Paul is at Paul Singh on all the different platforms. And I am at Pizza in Motion. All right. So first up is a company called Canna. and um, I'll tell the short version here, and then I want I want to dissect this with Paul and I, um, and we'll put some links in the show notes for folks who want to explore more about the product itself. the The product itself is pretty game changing um, if it comes to market. In that, um, think of like the the, the, the Soda Stream machine that came out a number of years ago, where you could mix flavors in your own house and make your own flavored waters and colas and all that stuff. Well, this this device takes this to you know, the, the one zillionth power. And essentially, um, these folks are breaking uh, the the assembly of a drink down into molecules, and they'll use cartridges with 80 different molecules that they'll mix to make anything, uh, any beverage. And so you've got, um, you know, the obvious ones like, hey, let me have some lemon-flavored seltzer, but they, they also plan to make coffee, uh, White Claw, you know, your, your seltzers with alcohol in them, which have become incredibly popular, and they plan to tackle wine all in the same machine. And and while it's great for consumers, it's also um, you know such a game changer from a distribution standpoint when we think about how much physical infrastructure there is in our country, uh, more so than others around the world, but but you know obviously all around the world in terms of making bottled beverages. Um, so you know while it's incredible, I think the thing that's that's also interesting, uh, Paul is you know this is this is David Freeberg, um who was a you know a very early employee at Google. And he has a fund called the Production Board. Again, again, I feel like fund is the wrong word. Maybe company. But they have, been, they have been working on Canna for three years. And they don't even have a prototype ready to go to market. They have an industrial prototype and they're getting ready to start manufacturing Gen 1. And when you think about something like this, it's as game-changing as this could be for so many different facets of our economy. And I want to talk about some of the things it fixes and some of the things that it actually creates problems with. Um, but I mean, could you see any path where something like this makes it out of the standard sort of, you know, founder, you know, pre-seed, seed, A, B, C sort of range, uh, you know, to, to market efficacy, given how much research and development has to go into something like this?
1: Look, I don't know the first thing about how Canada's technology works. Uh, I don't know the first thing about how, you know, this this fund or whatever works. But I think what I do find interesting about this whole thing is um, the timeline. Like when you when let's just go back, let's go back like 50 years, 50 years ago maybe plus or minus a little bit. uh, You know, the early days of venture capital was kind of the same, right? It's like people taking long bets on you know hardware, uh, Mm -hmm. and and like that was the norm. And then as as that kind of you know, so back then it was okay. I, mean, I think people like looked at it and they were like, "Yeah, it's going to take us five years to figure out how to right. package n number of transistors onto this chip or something like that." And investors took a very long view of that and and took the bet. And then over the years, I think the window got narrower and narrower. I mean, it, to this to these days, as you know, like with software or primarily software-driven businesses, it's rare to see a company get a runway longer than 18 months. Um right. and and so anyway, I just find this whole thing interesting because it's one of the few, you know, success stories that you read about publicly anyways, where people are taking long bets again. Um now maybe to people listening to this that are coming from like other industries like, I don't know, medicine or um, you know, medical technology, you know, these long windows are 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 not are the norm. But, you know, I don't know. I, I think it's just interesting to see like how 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 these guys are modeling these co- sort of venture studios, these long time frames, and maybe I'm just I don't know. Maybe my attention span's too short. I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, um, I think there's this whole m- m- uh, ecosystem built around sort of the the ten year fund shelf life, and something like this has you know almost no chance to exit in a in a ten year time. I mean, they, they're going to be. Their first machine's not going to hit the market till year four, um. So yeah. it just you know it, it doesn't fit the something something this aspirational doesn't really fit the the model that so many companies get funded by today in our industry.
1: Well, yeah, and and that that ten year sort of shelf life of funds is primarily driven by LPs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Right. Yep. So so and I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that like oh, yeah. you know, all of these constructs that we all operate in, or at least that the fund managers operate in these days, is really a, a um sort of a byproduct of the uh, asset allocation strategy of their LPs. Sure. Um I wouldn't be surprised if like more family offices, you know took a long view on long-term, you know, bets like this and, and started funding managers. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of that over time, but anyway, like I know when I was raising, you know, my funds years and years ago, um, it it was just so interesting. Like, uh, you know, I thought going into fundraising as a GP back then that fund fees and all these other things were like the primary things people were going to look at actually in hindsight, that that was sort of the like the least of the concerns. Usually, it was like, "Wait, what did you say the capital call timeline is?" You know yeah. what? What did yeah. you say the maximum life cycle of the fund is? And you know, yeah. and then what they were doing was backing that into their own, uh, you know, cash flow in and out sort of modeling, so they could determine what their own internal rate of return was going to be. And it yeah. was like it, I just found it so fascinating because it was sort of this like thing that I'd never considered, but turned out to be a really, really important part of the strategy. So anyway, I think like this whole can of thing is cool. like I, I hope it works. I don't you know as a consumer, it'd be kind of cool to be able to, uh, I should say as a Star Trek nerd, <laughs> the idea <laughs> of like having a, a, a you know a replicator would be kind of cool. <laughs> uh, but I but I think on a, as a as an investor, I think um, look, it'd be kind of cool to just see more more LPS take long bets like this and 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 start backing more fund managers. Um, because unfortunately, maybe, you know, to be relevant to you and I here, unfortunately for individuals like you and I, we can't take those long bets. Um, you know, we're not institutions, you know, we're not, <laughs> I don't like when I think about results junkies, there is no, um, succession plan, right? you yeah. know? Um, and so, yeah, my, my timelines are getting shorter and shorter. And I think even on a personal note, by the way, like I'm finding my own, what's the word, like my own. Uh, asset allocation changing on a personal note, you know. Like I was uh, you know, high level, for example. I was uh, personally, I was a hundred percent exposed to um, high risk, you know, tech startups uh, as recently as ten years ago. Yep. And then as we went out on the tech tour, like five years ago now, I I can in hindsight I can see how I started to readjust and think about like, wait a second, as I get returns back from the software companies. Oh, I don't know that I need to take more, uh, you know, put it all back into software tech and wait another 10 years to, for it to come back. It was like, Oh, well let's, um, let's deploy a certain percent over to, you know, um, Vanguard target date funds, you know, I'm getting older, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, let's start deploying a little bit to brick and mortar. Let's start to trying different, tr- different things, you know? So, um, anyway, I'm not sure where I'm going with that other than to say that, uh, uh, yeah, the, the, these these it'll be interesting to see what LPs do with this too. Because anytime you see a success like this, or at least a you know media success like this, you almost always see uh, smart GPS raise more money around similar ideas. So I wouldn't be surprised if like uh, GPS are running around right now raising more money, pointing at the canna and the uh, success and the long term bet that you know the studio made. Um, I bet there's a lot of money changing hands right now.
0: Yeah, and then I think just to tie tie this one off and and move over to Peloton, I think the 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 folks who uh, the the folks who have great vision will already be thinking about ways to solve the problems that Canna is going to create. And Canna, you know, if it if it comes to fruition the way that they describe it, will solve so many problems. You know, waste of water, waste of fuel, moving bottles. You know, we're not producing all these bottles, all that stuff. But I think you and I both know, like you know, bottled beverages aren't going to go away in our lifetime. Um, you know, just if I just think about the fact that, you know, I, I need to travel, I'm not gonna take all of my bottled water with me. Um, I'm certainly like I take my, my coffee with me and stuff like that. And so I've gotta have those things places I go. And and interestingly, all of those industries that move bottled beverages are industries of scale. They achieve scale by filling a truck, by selling truckloads to grocery stores, by selling truckloads to 7 Eleven. You know, 7-Eleven makes a living out of being on the corner so you can stop and grab your coffee and juice and, you know, monster energy drink and all that stuff. And so, you know, there's going to need to be this time period in there where, you know, before these machines are ubiquitous, the supply chain sizes shrink and they can't fill trucks with beverages anymore. And, and, and there will be folks who can make a ton of money in that interim finding ways to get smaller amounts of beverages to market, whether that's micro brewers or micro distributors or ways to clean and sanitize containers uh, in the last mile, so you can reuse a container. But I think there's a, a, a whole sh- watershed of industries I can think of that that need to sort of like smooth this ecosystem out as we we change how we consume. Because right now, you know, I don't i I can't pack beverages. You can't either. Once we get on a plane, like to go through security, we still can't bring liquids through. So there, you know, there's all these things that have to happen for this to change fully. And I think, you know, I I think this, as you say, like in terms of what people are raising money for, it's like, hey, I, I, you know, people should be raising money to figure out how to solve problems that these machines are creating aside from all the things that they solve.
1: I I don't disagree, but let me, let me pose a question to you. Let's say that you, let's just say this thing was ready for you as a consumer to put on your kitchen counter right now, early 2022. Uh, Honestly, candid question here. Would you let your kids drink that thing? Would you let them yeah. put it in their bodies right now?
0: Yeah, I would. I, I understand the question. Um, but yeah I, th- yeah, I think I would. Um, because I, I don't... Um, I've been in some beverage production plants and I don't necessarily view them as what I would call clean and virtuous. So, yeah, that's uh, fair. That's fair. I, I, may, I may have seen too much of the, it, the... I remember touring coffee roasting facilities and seeing people working in rooms where they put all the flavorings in the coffees and, and they weren't wearing masks and the air was so thick... I couldn't walk in because the, the the chemicals that they used to flavor the coffees was so strong. And it, and all the containers from places like Pfizer and stuff like that, these weren't like natural flavors. So yeah, I, I think I'd probably take the chance that this wasn't any worse than what they used to flavor my coffee now. <laughs>
1: well, you know, the, uh, my, uh, my, I think my point with that, though, is to, you know, when you say like all these other infrastructural kind of things are going to have to happen, I don't disagree, by the way, but I think in, like, you're not going to I I would be surprised if you see any real big changes there until there's mass consumer adoption. In in other words like if you're like a beverage company and you've got a fleet of 500 trucks that are already running around with, you know, the existing bottles and stuff like that. Like you're you've got a lot of capital invested in that hardware, you got a lot of jobs you got to think about and the optics of like what you're going to do with these people if 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 now you don't need as many. You know, you're not going to make any of those like new investments unless there's massive consumer adoption that forces the behavior change. So I guess what I'm just saying is, is that like, when I think about big bets like this, things that require lots of capital, long time frames, that sort of thing. I try to think, of, I try to like think about a framework of four things. Uh, so I think about uh, uh, product risk, uh, uh, market risk, uh, distribution risk, and regulatory risk. So in this particular case, this company that we're talking about, you know, product risk sounds like they've invested two years and a lot of money to try to figure out how to make it work. Uh, distribution risk, I think, is still kind of high. You know, the question: There's going to be a lot of questions around how do you sell this thing? What is the price mm-hmm. point? Yep. Um, and then, uh, then you got the 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 market risk. Do people want this? Or is there going to be widespread fear of of what these chemicals are? I mean, you know, um, and then you get the regulatory risk. You know, does does the government at some point say, hey, 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 wait, wait a second. Now, I'm not saying they will, by the way. I'm just saying, like, you know, you, you got to consider those things. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that it'll be interesting to see how this thing plays out. I, by the way, I, I love the idea. I love the company. I love that thing. I'm not an investor. I'm not, you know, I think yeah. it's kind of cool. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they tackle this whole, like, consumer adoption angle. Because uh, their ability, whether or not they're able to crack that, will determine how fast they then move up the adoption curve.
0: Yeah, and I would argue that uh, I don't think, uh, I think I don't think they need to even be in double digit market percentage of beverages to cause a significant disruption. Coke in the Freestyle, when they released their Freestyle machines, and they pulled a lot of those products out of mainstream food purveyors, trucks um, created a pretty significant disruption. So I think even large single digit percentage of market. Um, i'm not saying it means that all these companies go away from what they're they're doing all the distributors the bottlers, stuff like that but like all of those industries rely on full trucks moving at a regular cadence and if you pull eight or ten percent out of that and they now can't move full trucks all the unit costs have to go up and everything starts to become pear-shaped which is by the way like a great transition into peloton which is you know they. They, they, apparently, from what we can tell from public statements, Peloton overproduced um, in the tail end of the pandemic and has, you know, a lot of inventory on the on the floor. I think in terms of, you know, concept of size, I'd have to guess for a company like like Peloton at this point, they probably have to have something like a year's worth of inventory sitting on, on floors somewhere for them to really make this big of an announcement in terms of being a publicly held company. And, you know, I think, like, uh, you know, The 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 pandemic was a huge boon for them. On the flip side, you know, you and I were talking about we had a couple of portfolio companies who the pandemic was uh, was a death sentence for them because of how they chose to raise. And there's this, you know, conversation that founders and investors have that we've talked about in the past of like how much is the right amount to raise and how much of the company do we want to sell at this juncture. And you know, certainly there are lots of founders who are like, well, I don't want to give up a ton of my company right now. I don't want to give up voting control. I don't want to sell that much of the company. But it also means that they don't have a ton of Runway and i don't have a ton of cash in the bank. Um, you, you know, you alluded to you know 18 months of cash as being something that we see as sort of like the outer bounds normally. And you know, Peloton did have some chances to raise more capital during the pandemic. Not to say that they should or they shouldn't have. You know, those are decisions that they make. But I think it resonates with founders and investors that you you know you you constantly have to be thinking about all these options and. Um, and, and there may be reasons other than not wanting to give away your company that you might want more cash in the bank. And I think Peloton's a, a really good example of that just like the travel startups that we had investments in back in 2019, that, um, that ultimately had a, a tremendous impact to their growth in 2020 when, uh, you know, when COVID descended.
1: Well, uh, okay. So I don't know if there's a question in there, but w- what I'll just say is like, first off, I I feel I feel for public companies <laughs> because <laughs> you know you, you know you you like you 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 you're surrounded you're basically at the mercy of all these armchair quarterbacks that are reading you know a, a four sentence paragraph and then assuming the worst as they fill in the blanks you know um, so I do feel for public companies and you know I'll, I'll admit I don't own any. Uh, you know, Peloton shares. I mean, m- maybe I do through like one of these index funds or something. I, I don't know, but, uh, but I'm a customer. Uh, you know, I got a, yeah, uh, a, uh, yeah I got a treadmill in the in the bike. So, um, I like it. I'm long on it. You know, I think I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, sure, but anyway, let me let me go back. I, I maybe I missed a question in there. Uh Well, I
0: think it's I think it goes back to this this discussion of um, you know, f- founders love to control their destiny. Um, and I think you know there are there are meaningful decisions around fundraising and forecasting the future that um that that have this balance of control your own destiny. And so a lot of times you'll sell less of your company to to maintain this belief that you can control your destiny because you own more of the shares. Mm-hmm. And in in this instance, at least from what we can see so far, because Peloton is now short on cash and they're public they may be forced to sell, no longer controlling their the, their destiny in terms of how they want to grow and that they may be part of Apple or Google or someone else. And so um, the, this strategy of, well, let's keep all the shares as closely held as we can, um, you know, can come back to bite you. Uh, I'm not saying that's specifically what happened here, more their total cash in the bank. But I think cash in the bank cuts two ways. And so I think that's something that maybe we don't talk about enough.
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm just going to start with by saying yes. Uh, but like this is a, this is a really tough one, right? Because, yeah. you know, um, w- would they have made different decisions if they knew this was coming? Of course they would. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I, I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is, uh, relevant, but I, I'm compelled to say it. So, you know, my, my daughter, uh, my oldest turned eight, um, a couple weeks ago. And, uh, one of the presents she got for her birthday was monopoly. And, you know, uh, we're a board game family. We like to have fun, you know, and, and, and the kids enjoy it and stuff like that. But here's the point. The thing that surprised me the most about playing Monopoly with my eight year old is how quickly she's starting to learn things similar to what you just said there. Uh, hey, I just landed on this little spot. I should buy it so that nobody else can buy it. But if I do that, then my cash position goes down. I may. And then if I land on the wrong square, you know, two moves down the row, or uh, two moves uh, down the table or whatever, like I could be forced to mortgage something or go bankrupt. Like an eight-year-old is picking up that concept now within the first two weeks. And I think it's really interesting. But, Mm -hmm. you know, bringing it back to founders, here's the thing, like, you know, this is a cliche and people kind of chuckle when I say this. Uh, Look, the business that we're all in personally and professionally is making the least worst choice at at any given moment. (laughs) Yeah. You know, a different way to say it would be, you know, would you and I make so many investments if we knew which ones would actually return the money? No. Of, of course, course not, not, right? Like we would just invest in those 10. So I try to avoid these like woulda, coulda, shoulda's. I think for founders, you know, I think the 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 main thing founders should take away is that um you should raise on the high end of what's possible. So, you know, um now the caveat to that is try to maintain control. You know, it, sure. it's 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 tough. Um to do anything else. But other than that, try not to worry too much about what's going to happen, you know, five days or five years down the road or five months down the road. Unfortunately, you know, for for most companies that are, you know, doing under a million bucks in revenue, um, the default state is failure. Sure. So that's what you're solving for. Yeah, I mean, we could take this conversation a lot of different ways, by the way, because I think, you know, it touches on different threads, uh, different ideas that we can pick up in future episodes. Uh, if people want to like email and see what they like to, hear more about but like for example um you know uh, you know you ask i think you're framing this question around like how should founders be thinking about this well in this particular context maybe founders shouldn't swing big on their first startup maybe what they should do is is you know get a small win first or get a cash account or a bank account like like somehow get your first win so that when you do take that big swing on your next startup or your whatever the next thing is you're going to do then you've got the ability to fall back on something. Um, yeah. You know, uh, but again, there's a lot of different, you know, threads that we can pull on this topic, but I, I personally have refrained on, you know, armchair quarterbacking any of these public companies uh, because, you know, you can't get the context uh, of what they've been dealing with in a three-paragraph Times article. No, no.
0: <laughs> no, and I, don't think, and I don't think the lesson of Peloton is, you know, just go raise more money. I think, I think, the lesson for founders and investors is it's an important discussion and there are distinctions like to your comment of raise as much as you can. Um, you know, I raise the, the upper end of what, what, what's possible. Like I generally agree, but I also think that even with that general sentiment, I think that the, there needs to be meaningful conversations between founders and investors and, you know, founders and co-founders about what the goal is of the rate. Like, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish? Um, yeah. and, it very rarely until you're you know much deeper in the life cycle of a company should you know potential exits really be playing a strategy. You should be you should be building, not positioning for exit. And that goes back to a comment, Paul, that you had a number of episodes of that, you know, the vast majority of companies that have exited in, in portfolios um, aren't sold. They're bought. Meaning somebody comes out and seeks them out because of growth or disruption or something else. we're getting really good at segways because like <laughs> wordle most definitely got bought as opposed to getting sold. The founder of wordle was overwhelmed trying to keep the program up and, um, and the New York times essentially came and uh, you know, I, I guess gave him a lifeline, but, um, but, uh, but you were the one that tagged this. And I thought it was interesting that you included it because I was thinking some of the exact same things of like, wow, I think this is so interesting that the times went for this as quickly as they did. Cause wordles only been a phenomenon for, handful of months. Well, I
1: think, yeah, I, I, there's two, two sides of this, uh, that I, that I think are interesting. The first is the personal aspect. Now I, I don't know. I, I only know what probably you and everybody else know, right? Like the deal terms are not disclosed. Uh, like from what I understand, this is a one developer, uh, mm-hmm. product, yep.
0: Yep. uh, okay. yep.
1: no monetization, nothing like that. Yep. And yeah, not something, even an
0: ad, not even an ad on the page, literally nothing
1: correct something in the millions of users and to your to your point like you know the 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 founder the owner or whatever was just kind of struggling to keep it up so on a personal note this is great for him or her whoever it is you know if they weren't financially set before they are now and to to that conversation a few minutes ago now they can take even bigger and bigger bets as they go forward so that'll be that's cool i like that i like those kind of stories um on a professional note uh This, this, you know, the times buying this thing so quickly is, is really fascinating to me, uh, to say it a different way. I would be surprised if the times was the only bidder. I I would be really surprised if, if that founder was not talking to five or 10 other, um, possible acquirers and then, you know, bidding back and forth. Um, and I think that speaks to this, this increasing convergence uh, across uh, you know media companies, uh, uh, consumer tech companies, uh, uh, retail. I mean, like I have this like l- loosely baked idea in my head that I need to probably draw out at some point is that if you draw a bunch of circles to represent industry, so you draw a circle for media, you draw a circle for CPG, you draw a circle for retail, e-commerce, whatever. Those things, here we are in 2022, those things are now converging into a Venn diagram and the overlap is what I think the future of DTC is going to be. In other words, I think that, you know, you're, we're going to see more of this stuff. I, to, let me just put it more bluntly. I don't think the Times would have bought Wordle if, you know, iOS 14.5 hadn't hit a year ago almost. 100%. Why, why, yeah, why would you right? Because paid was performing so well, their paywalls crushing it.
0: Well, yeah, I will say like New York Times does have a subscription for games. so it's possible, I would say I would click, I would codify what you say ever so slightly. I would say I don't think the New York Times pays anywhere near as much for wordle um, because there's less irrational fear of how they're going to get distribution.
1: That's fair. Uh, that's fair.
0: yeah, I think it, I think this drives up the price for anything that's viral now because virality equals distribution equals a potential solution to this Apple iOS problem.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, we're, we're all, you know, you just said a moment ago, you said like, would they, you said something about them, their irrational fear of, of, of getting distribution. I actually think it's a rational fear. I think everybody's worried (laughs) about it. Everybody's worried about it. And I think like, you know, anybody that says they're not is either lying or has something to hide, um, you know? cac is up paid cac is up four to five x across our portfolio you know and and, and i and it's this it's the same for bump it's the same for everybody we're all diversifying and, and thinking about like how do you how do you where do you go next so anyway i don't think that's an irrational fear um you know and people are probably gonna get tired of me beating that drumstick or whatever or that drum beat, but um it's, it's, it, it's a, it's a brave new world. And I think, um, you know, the, the latest thing is, oh, let's go do user generated content. Let's figure out TikTok and nobody's wrong. I mean, those, those are what you got to do, but, uh, like Mark, my words though, I think maybe here's my big prediction. So my, my big prediction going forward is, is that it's going to be a race to, to see whether media companies start to acquire more consumer tech companies in mass. Or if consumer tech companies start to acquire more existing media companies in mass, that is going to be driven like which the answer to that or the, you know, the, the, the answer to that uh, is going to be driven by which side of that equation loses money faster.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to leave us with two stats on, on the Apple iOS change uh, that I think help illustrate the size of the problem that, that all of these companies are trying to solve. And when I say all of these companies, that includes you, me, and probably every company in our portfolios. Um, and then everything we do on a daily basis it involves connecting with customers. Um, there, it will link to this New York Times article, um, but two numbers, one that's already out there publicly, um, but maybe not everybody's seen it, that Facebook, um, when their stock crashed, um, you know, last week, they claim $10 billion in losses due to uh, the change in Apple's privacy rules. And okay, again, just a massive number. So think about aggregate that against, across all the companies that, that advertise. So it's Facebook has lost $10 billion. And then all the companies that stop spending that money who are probably spending that amount of money or more somewhere else for less accurate results. And then a stat that I wasn't aware of, although I think you and I both estimated that these numbers would be bad, um, the article states uh, only 24% of iPhone users around the world have consented to being tracked by advertisers, according to data published in December by the analytics company Flurry. And uh, you know, something I said to you before we hit the record button. You know, we had an iPhone release in the fall, um, and and every time you downloaded an app, you got asked this question when with your new iPhone. You know, do you want to be tracked? Uh, you know, and and the question is framed in that ask the app not to track me as like my my affirmative answer. And I think as people continue to upgrade their phones, this number almost certainly has to fall um, because they've now already asked all you know seventy five percent of people have said don't track me, and now these other twenty four percent are you know some of those people are going to get new phones and go oh yeah I you know I don't want to be tracked, and you know some might say allow, but clearly early evidence is that this is just crushing the way that so many companies uh, thought about GAC.
1: twenty four percent that's crazy. I feel like I'm I'm beating a dead horse here, but I think that like you know. P- people, if you aren't already taking this stuff seriously, you got to take it seriously. Like if you're in the business of selling stuff online to people and you're not taking this seriously, <laughs> I don't know what to <laughs> tell you, you know. Um, but but I'll tell you as an investor, I'm starting to see some really interesting things cross my desk, you know, in terms of um, interesting new startups. So for example, one of the uh, unexpected but sort of... Um, interesting things I'm seeing more and more often is that I'm seeing tech people from the music industry, uh, starting to bootstrap, uh, um, analytics companies. Now you're probably like, what, what, where are you going with this? Well, here's the thing. The music industry for the last 50 or a hundred years has been, um, uh, operating in a non cookied world. I mean, like, you know, like if you were, I'm making just a Warner music, I don't know, pick somebody. If you were these people and you just signed a new artist and you're sitting there with their new record and you're like, well, uh, we need to get this thing to grow. Do we put a hundred million bucks into radio distribution or a hundred million bucks into a tour? What do we, what do we do? Those, the, that industry was operating without cookies and without all this stuff for a long time. Sure. A- and yeah. now, and, and and it seems to be working at least for the top tier. So like, just, just a couple of days ago, I saw a, a deck from a founder that I'm talking to now uh, where these guys came from a really well-known music li- label. Uh, and they're the data scientists. They were the ones that were like, you know, they, you know they, they're they credible about it. And now they're like, well, hey, all this like new, new, you know, uh, uh, user tracking world that you guys can't figure out. We've been doing this forever. Here's how we do it. And let's hook into your back. end. anyway, it'll be interesting to see what else happens here i think we're going to see a lot more of that like people coming from industries that have been dealing with this for a long time and then creating new businesses here um for investors anyways like even me i think that's going to be a really really lucrative so
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i think so i think you know for folks who haven't heard us screaming about this for weeks months now months now yeah. uh you know it's you know this is not the death knell of targeting. It's the like the, the 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 folks who you know who the folks who figure this out, who put the time in to figure this out, are going to be incredibly successful in the next round because they'll have advantages over their competitors. So we'll uh, we'll leave it there. Um, if you made it this far in the show, I, I'm guessing that means that you like what you're hearing. So we'd love it if you'd hit the the five star review button wherever you're listening. Uh, Spotify rolled out reviews a few months ago, so that's a great place to hit if you haven't already. Uh leave us a rating. You can email us show at resultsjunkies.com. And I will leave it to you, Paul, to see us away.
1: All right, buddy. Well, uh, have a great weekend, and uh I'll report back next week on uh how bad the delays were.
0: <laughs> I can't wait. I will live vicariously through the red ink on your united.com app.
1: Oh well you gotta leave it like that. All right, I'll see you later. <laughs>